Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us on our continuing mission to explore intersectional diversity and infinite combinations. We've got a big crew today. With us today, we have Sue. Hi, everybody. We've got Sarah. Hi. And we've got a very special guest, Blair Imani. Yeehaw. (laughs) We're ready to ride, space cow pokes. As usual, before we get to our main topic, we have a little bit of housekeeping to do first. This episode is brought to you by Text Expander. More from them a little later. Our show is made possible by our patrons on Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron, you can do so for as little as a dollar a month and get awesome rewards. From thanks on social media up to silly watch-along commentaries that we make ourselves. Visit www.patreon.com forward slash women at warp. You can also support us by leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. So today is a very spiritual topic, and I'm glad that we could all be here together. Before we jump into it, I mean, Blair, I think a lot of our listeners will know who you are, but uh, would you like to introduce yourself a little bit and tell people about your history with Star Trek? Oh, for sure. So y'all, I'm the Muslim woman who pissed off all the Islamophobes with the Geordie LaForge cosplay. Yes! <laughs> That's usually the context. Like, it's funny. So many folks like know me from that. And they're like, oh, wait, you have a ho- other life? And I'm like, like most Star Trek fans, Trekkies are Trekkers. Yes. And so I'm, an, I'm a historian. I'm an author. I'm an educator. I'm an influencer now, thanks to uh, all the folks who have realized racism is a conversation worth talking about. And history is part of that conversation. So uh, now I educate folks weekly Sunday nights with Learn O'Clock. I have Smarter in Seconds, a series where I educate you on different intersectional subjects in 15 seconds or less. It's usually right at 15 seconds, though. And I love Star Trek. I love Jordi LaForge. I also love LeVar Burton. And I just love the fandom of Star Trek because y'all show up for people who are underdogs and really, you know, fortify and uplift the idea that Gene Roddenberry had when he wrote this, which was infinite diversity in infinite combinations. So I'm often giving talks and speeches and trying to wedge Star Trek in there by any means necessary. Awesome. And how did you personally get into Star Trek? What what did your journey look like there? I think that my journey looks like me having access to like, we had DirecTV at home and there would always be like these like solid blocks of Star Trek. I can't even remember on, on what channel, but the first episode of Star Trek I watched, I think I was either in middle school or early high school. And it was the episode that basically tackles drug addiction in The Next Generation where there's one, I mean, spoilers, but it's been out forever. (laughs) There's one group of aliens that has, you know, a very severe addiction, very like similar to an opioid addiction. And then there's another one, like a sister planet that provides the drugs and they're very affluent. They're doing great. And they look very much down upon the people who make that wealth possible through the addiction. And Picard makes this call to say, hey, I'm not going to repair your ship, but I'm also not going to leave you ditched out here. And they're like, no, but if you don't repair our ship, then we can't continue to, like, enslave these people through addiction. And uh, Picard's like, yeah, you're figured out. And I love that because (laughs) at the time that this, you know, this episode happened, it was right at the time of, you know, the war on drugs and the crack epidemic. And for the sci-fi show to talk about the inequality and to do it in a way that really highlights not only the class differences, but the mental health aspects, what addiction looks like. You know, you have Dr. Crusher, who's just like analyzing it, looking at, you know, I don't think that he's sick. Well, he is sick, but it's not because there's an illness. It's because of addiction. And the way they talked about addiction, like, ugh, chef's kiss. So that really had me hooked because I was like, wow, if they're talking about something this nuanced at a time when it was not popular, I'm in. I believe that episode was called Symbiosis. Yes. And that's as good as a reason to get into a franchise as any. Let's be real. For real. Truly. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad we could have you on for this topic specifically because we want to talk a little bit about, we've we've touched previously on different views of religion in Star Trek, but what I wanted to bring you on here to talk about specifically was women as religious leaders in Star Trek. Yes. Let's all get spiritual for a minute here. <laughs> I'm already there. All right. Cool. <laughs> awesome. Is everybody else there? Always. Okay, cool. Center yourselves. Look inward. And ask yourself, what do you think about a woman uh, in a leadership role in religion? And how does that apply to Star Trek? And what we've got here is a list of different characters and figures that throughout Star Trek to go over. And I was wondering, since you're our guest here, Blair, would you like to pick the first one we talk about? Mm, I mean, I am always doing this thing where I'm like, she's not on the list, but let me talk about her. So I won't do that. (laughs) You can totally do that. This list is definitely not comprehensive. Yeah. You know... 
Okay, well, we'll get to that later. I think first, because <laughs> I, have, I have so many thoughts. I, it's very all over the place. But I think that Nuria is really, and that's, of course, because I'm partial to the next generation, really speaks to me the most. But I think beyond that, you know, the infinite diversity and infinite combinations is also it's a mirror to ourselves in the current era. Anytime you have a sci-fi show, there's going to be elements of the current existing you know, world that make it into there. And I was recently talking about this on a show called The Liberal Conspiracy, highly recommend it's on YouTube, about how the limitations of Gene Roddenberry and the writer's, you know, imagination as it relates to childbirth really shows. Because if you can wave like, you know, this wand type element over somebody's forehead and diagnose them and cure them, then why are we giving painful birth? You know, why is there still vaginal birth? Like, this makes no sense. And, and so what I love about the Star, Star Trek having women religious leaders is that it's taking that limitation of the world, whether that's through patriarchy, religion, cultural stigma, etc., tearing it down and saying, we're going to make this the focus. And it's fun too, because then you have all the people who don't realize how much Star Trek is religious. And it is. It's absolutely fun when you get to have uh, someone be like, well, Star Trek isn't really a religious thing, is it? And then you get to be like, yeah, it can be. Exactly. That level of, oh, you thought wrong that you get to pull out. That's always fun. But the reason why I love Nuria is because she has amazing brows. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone on this planet has just wild eyebrows, and I appreciated that a lot. So this is the the next gen episode who watches the watchers mm-hmm. right where where they're observing the this proto vulcan culture and their township their community comes to think of the enterprise and picard as a god mm-hmm. and this actually this episode comes up a lot when people talk about how anti religion star trek can be because this is the episode where picard basically gives a speech that that is very very secular and and calls religion like, oh, I don't have it in front of me and I'm going to misquote it. But it, basically primitive, which is kind of a buzzword in its own right. But it's it's really interesting that that we you went to Nuria first. Yeah. And so that's why it's my favorite, because I so as a religious person, I'm Muslim, but also as, you know, a scholar and a historian and author. I love going to the thing first. That's the most controversial. It's like eating your vegetables first at dinner so you can get to the mashed potatoes. (laughs) And so this one's fun because this is always what people point to as far as, you know, there's no Muslims in Star Trek. It's like, first of all, y'all, hate to break it to you, but Star Trek's a fictional world, you know? (laughs) Is this one real? Who knows? No. But it's so fun to me because I talk about this so often. So I spoke at the Princeton School of Divinity recently, and it was before Corona times. And I was talking about canon and this idea of, you know, we have our personal canons, we have canon as it relates to, you know, the religious texts, etc. But if somebody can watch the same episode of Pokemon as me and have a different interpretation, and that's not even like high stakes related to our salvation or, you know, internal souls, then when it comes to religion, it's going to be way more intense. And just like that, Star Trek is used, you know, we have, you know, instead of, you know, a religious figure, we have Gene Roddenberry creating the text, we have people, you know, performing that text. And then writers contributing to it. We can make total parallels in religious texts. And then we have actors portraying it. And then those, the viewers, the audience, interpreting that. And the harmful thing is that you have people interpreting it to the detriment of others. I love this episode. It's one of my favorites. Because it's so much more about you know, critical thought. About the, dis- it's the detachment of God as a people which is also, you know, a valid, I'm not here to knock anybody's religious, you know, practices. But what I love is that it, it takes deification away from Picard. And I think it's also a challenge to white supremacy because you have Picard, this bald white man with an English accent in the future, which is so reoccurring, an amazing captain. And then you have this like fantasy of colonization where there's this myth that indigenous people were just turning over their, you know, their gold and their valuables to the white colonizers. And it says, it, it kind of, you know, knocks that in the face. And it, you know, positions Picard as a savior, which is, you know, also part of the franchise. But I just really love it because it, it just challenges so much mythology around new culture, around religion. And people weaponize it, but I'm here to say, hey. It's just a different interpretation. It's fantastic. I also just really appreciate how this is an episode I can point to and be like, 
Oh, yeah. Remember the one when uh, the lady from Better Things was on Star Trek? <laughs> yeah, lady from Better Things and the guy from RoboCop. They were both aliens in space together. Remember that? Mm. Yeah, Star Trek's good for that. <laughs> Star Trek is great for that. That's genuinely one of my favorite things about going back to an old series. But yeah, that was an excellent starter. And I, I really now want am hyped up to watch that episode again. <laughs> All right, moving on. Um, Sarah, do you want? is there a figure you'd like to bring up to chat over? I thought we could maybe chat about women leaders in Vulcan spirituality in general, because I feel like Vulcans don't really have a religion, but they're very spiritual people. Like mm-hmm. they add a lot of woo to their logic. Mm-hmm. I mean, people are like, they're the, the, like, you know, the epitome of non-religion. And it's like, they have a specific greeting. They have specific ways of dressing. Like you might not attach a God to it, but that religiosity, you know, like we really have to detach, I think, religion from this conversation of about being it's a belief system. It's not necessarily always connected to a deity, but it is certainly a belief system. And we can a hundred percent see that with the Vulcans. They have rituals and practices and all the stuff that's integral to their culture. Yeah. I wouldn't call it prayers, but repetitions, you know, even if it's not a religion, it's very religious like, and they practice yes. it religiously. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I was, I was actually on the fence about that one when I was putting together the notes for this episode, because I, um, for one thing, we had a Kulinar high master, and I was like, oh, cool, the person in charge of Kulinar leading Spock through that is a woman. That could be cool. And it's like, but does Kulinar count as a religious experience? And then it was like, does any of it count as a religious experience? <laughs> Why not, right? That's the fun thing with religion is that it's really, it's it's subjective. It is based on our own personal biases, understandings, etc. I mean, for me, I watch Star Trek, and I'm like, look at all of the Muslim iconography. And like, you'll have somebody who knows nothing about Islam be like, what are you talking about? Or worse, you have somebody who, you know, is very Islamophobic and is saying that all types of other things. But that's the fun of it, right? Like any fandom, people are going to bring themselves to it. You know, like somebody watching that episode I talked about earlier, Symbiosis, who has a family, you know, you know, history with addiction might watch that show completely differently than somebody else. But it's the same amazing experience. And I think that's what's so beautiful about these conversations is that, hey, Maybe we'll never, you know, we'll never be able to speak to Gene Ronberry and say, hey, was this religious? Was this not? Hey, writers, was it this? Was it not? Because it doesn't matter. What matters is how the audience takes it away. And that's what's so beautiful with media, Star Trek or otherwise. I was uh, recently listening to friend of the show, Callie Wright, on their podcast, Queersplaining, about creating a ritual just in life, that it doesn't have to be a religious thing. It doesn't have to be a prayer thing, but it can be a bit of a spiritual thing. And they, they broke it down with the main idea being that it becomes something you do becomes a ritual when you do it with intention. And I think that idea can be expanded into the Vulcan spirituality or religion or whatever we decide we're going to call it because everything they're doing, they're doing with intention for a specific purpose that is for them. I don't know if you'd call it self improvement, but I mean, they're, they're seeking to be the most logical they possibly can. There is a path that they are on. So, I mean, I see no issue, including that journey, including Kolinar, in, in a discussion about religion on Vulcan. I totally agree. And that actually reminds me, this might be too much of a departure. So follow me on this one. I'm a historian. I'm good for that. <laughs> but when people talk about simulation theory... And they really like get into it. It's so simulation theory, for those who don't know, is this theory that everything that we experience is a simulation. Think about living in the matrix and that we are the design of some creator uh, and we're in a simulated program. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Like, uh, like how folks talk about God, like, uh, like that. Mm-hmm. And every time I say that in a space that's extremely secular, science focused, AI focused, et cetera, that is very, you know, opposed to the idea of religiosity and God in the way that I understand God to be. There's very, it gets very frustrated, but it's fun because, you know, I'm not going around being a jerk to people. I think that's terrible, but I really love to have these provocative conversations with people because we're really coming from our own context. Somebody might feel that simulation theory is absolutely not at all created to, you know, connected to a deity. But to me, that same, you know, it's just different language for the same descriptor. And I think honoring those truths, you know, maybe somebody hears us say, that Vulcan, you know, practices are religious in nature and that pisses them off. 
But that's definitely more connected to our own comfort levels with religion. You know, calling something a ritual, a chant, a prayer. If your prayer experience, you know, growing up uh, has been homophobic or has been, you know, just not positive, you're going to cringe from that. Doesn't necessarily mean that it takes away from somebody else calling it that, but we're always providing our own context. And so uh, I think especially with religion, because it is such a force, whether it's through theocracy or personal experience, that's why the conversation's so difficult. Sarah, was there a particular character that you wanted to talk about? Not a particular character, but I thought it was interesting that so many of the leaders were women. Mm. Because I, I grew up not religious, but exposed to a lot of Western religion. And in Western religion, the leaders tend to be men, you know, your pastor, your reverend, whatever. That's how it's gone with my experience in Judaism also. So I thought it was interesting that Gene Roddenberry decided that most of the leaders in Vulcan should be women. I thought it was Mm. especially cool because we could see T'Pau, especially in this role of not exactly a religious leader, but like a cultural leader in terms of scholarship, in terms of questioning uh, the basis of their culture and why they do a lot of that, what they do. And I really liked that, especially because that's a big basis for um, modern Judaism as we know it. Scholarship and Talmudic texts and interpretation is a big cornerstone of the faith. And I like that that's that's something that the Vulcans have got going on too. Yeah. And when we see her in a muck time, she is revered yeah right? and then when she she reappears pre-appears in um, <laughs> enterprise it we learned that you know she was part of this philosophical revolution you know and that's how she sort of gained this weight in this culture and it's just it's so interesting and i mean i know a lot of people say a lot of things about enterprise there's a lot to be said the the vulcan storyline in that season is one of my favorite bits of enterprise so i i really love how they explored and expanded to pow when when we learned of the revolution on vulcan got to love the idea of the culture that we have this idea of as being very you know fixed in their ways as being one that's like surprise we had a major cultural uprising that changed our entire school of thought just a couple hundred years ago but the great thing on vulcan is that that's one lifetime yeah oh my gosh right? I, had, I hadn't thought about it that way i really <laughs> should have but i hadn't but there's just so many parallels like just demonstrating the fact that that's possible i mean you know, this is the original series, right? Mm -hmm. Like talking about that in the midst of the civil rights movement, like we know Dr. King was a fan of Star Trek, encouraged Nichelle Nichols to stay on, you know, watch the show. The the fact that Dr. King was a Trekkie, like what? Like that's cool. But also just the way that Star Star Trek and other sci-fi mechanisms can demonstrate, hey, these people had an entire shift in their ideology and they're still around. Mm -hmm. Maybe we can too. Mm. The idea of cultural evolution is such a big part of sci-fi, and I love seeing how much we get to see that represented in Star Trek. Now I've made myself excited again. (laughs) (laughs) So the person who I wanted to bring up uh, that's not on the list, but as I was thinking about it, is Deanna Troy. Because she is the most, like, it's not secular. Like, it's definitely woo-woo, you know, like woo-woo. That's like pretty much, you know, slang for spiritually-ish, religious you know, and I just find that the way that she interacts with people, yes, it's based in psychology. Yes, she's a betazoid uh, and it comes from that. But just the way that she interacts with her and her mother in later episodes and seeing how like her, you know, I think she, yeah, she's half human, half betazoid and how she interacts with people. It's so empathetic, but it also reminds me of my friends and, you know, like elders in my family who, you know, practice voodoo who, you know, burn sage, who, you know, do incantations, and that's part of their religious experience. Here, it's couched in the language of, you know, psychology and energies and, you know, feeling shifts, but she'll be walking through the ship and be like, oh, Picard, I got a tingle in my spine. I feel like something's afoot. You know, it's not exactly, that's <laughs> not a direct quote, but that's <laughs> enough. It, it's, it just very much reminds me of the idea of religion being beyond it, the connection to a deity. Right. She's very emotional and empathic, and there, she definitely goes about helping people in kind of a spiritual sense, if that makes sense. I agree. So I have to go to Winadami. Oh. Yes. <laughs> the, oh. The elephant in the room, I think we could say. The big-hatted elephant. <laughs> Space Pope herself. So every time we, we end up talking 
in-depth about religion on the show. I bring up a bit of my history. I will do that again. So I apologize for the people who listen who know this already. My dad is a doctor of theology. He was a retired Baptist minister. I grew up surrounded by evangelicals. And I am, am very aware of some of the deceit and corruption and politics that happens in the evangelical church. And I'm not saying that that is everybody, but it's definitely there and I've witnessed it. So when I look at Kai Wynn, and especially when she's Vedic Wynn still, right, and sort of manipulating things to to get the power that she wants, I recognize her, mm. right? I very clearly, like, I know who this person is, and I know everything about her. But in a weird way, it, it makes me love her because I love a complex villain. And this is a complex villain who... I feel like I have a deeper insight to. I'm not saying that she's a good person by any means, <laughs> but she is a great character. I mean, that's another important thing is that not everything religious related is going to be positive, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and it's not it doesn't mean that it's exclusive to win Adami. It doesn't mean it's exclusive to Islam or evangelical Christianity, et cetera, et cetera. It's about power. And the way that people can wield power in the sense of their, you know, eternal soul or afterlife, et cetera, over each other, you know, that's an important part to talk about too. And I, what I love as well is that it's not, it's, it's made clear. I mean, Star Trek does this amazing thing where we could talk about something, but we don't villainize it. We can talk about unfortunate things. We can talk about things that are uncomfortable, but it's not characterized as if anyone who is this way is bad. It's about the choices of the person, the power that they're wielding. And that's always made abundantly clear. I think the thing about Kai Wen, too, is that even though she is is angling for political power and a leadership role, we also see her in, in very vulnerable positions where she wants so much to be favored by the prophets. And we see her doubting whether she believes enough. We see her wondering you know, why does this this person who isn't even Bajoran, why is he the emissary? And the prophets won't even speak to me, right? And we see her struggle with that. And like, having the background of that I do, like, it, that is also very familiar. And it's just, they they put so much into this character. And Louise Fletcher does such a phenomenal job with it. And I mean, I think she's one of the most well-rounded characters we get that certainly that falls into to our topic today. But even on DS9, she doesn't have that many appearances, but we... She makes a big impression. We get so much from mm-hmm. her, yeah. She, it's one of those those appearances similar to, you know, Whoopi Goldberg appearances on The Next Generation. Like, the moments where you do see her really makes a difference. Like, everything from the the wardrobe to the characterization, but also the fact that she's complex. It's not necessarily that she's all good or all bad. Like, she questions her martyrdom, you know? Like, she's gone through so much. Is it worth it? Am I doing enough? Is what I've gone through I- enough to please the prophets? It's, I think I, I you know, I, I also relate in the fact that it feels like a familiar conversation to me that I see people struggle with. Well, I always love uh, the inclusion of Kai Wynn in the bigger discussion about Deep Space Nine and its representation of the Bajorans, just for the representation that we get of religion as a whole there. Like with Kai Wynn, we get this sort of great depiction. I've um, in the notes I included a quote from her saying that I'm playing like the Pope in space, except she's like an ancient Pope from the days when popes were ruthless and powerful and exerted their powers and fought wars. And I really like that because it's so interesting when you get into talking about religious history. There is a lot of religious political conversation happening there, and different places in human history where they. You know, they sort of went along together and held hands in ways that affected the outcome of human history. And you've always kind of got to wonder, what happened on Bajor? Like, how did their entire (laughs) planet's culture become one monolithic religion? That's the thing. So, okay, yes, you know, with this, we're talking about Bajor. But when folks tell me that, you know, like Star Trek is taking, you know, place in the 2300s, specifically speaking about the next generation, because that's my favorite. And people say there's no religion anymore. That doesn't just happen. No, I don't buy that at all. People don't just give up their beliefs. You know, like Jordi LaForge is born in Mogadishu, Somalia, a Muslim majority country. Odds are, like, there are some Muslims, you know. I like to believe that Jordi LaForge was practicing Muslim, you know. 
but that's also my headcanon. But the fact that people feel that that's impossible, what type of war took place? Like, what was it the the thing that I think a lot of scientists believe that when we have alien contact, we have our first contact and suddenly people will lay down their religious beliefs? You know, is did that happen? Why is that not said? That's so specific. But the idea that there's so, so, so much to be said about how we ended up with the cultures that we have. It's it's sci-fi history and it's fascinating. Yeah. The thing that always weirds me out is Star Trek has always had this really strong basis in sort of secular humanism outside of religion, but with a lot of the same philosophies. And so like hearing someone say, yeah, but in the future, we're not going to need religions because we're all just going to be one people. It's like, yeah, but that means homogenizing and like kind of weeding out all of these distinct cultures and belief systems. So is that really worth it if we're going to lose that much like culture and important heritage to people? Specifically in Next Generation, I mean, Data makes reference to Diwali, I believe, in Data's Day when he's writing to to Maddox. And I mean, TOS, they had a Christmas party. Yeah. Right. So the idea that that religion is gone in the future is just inaccurate. But it's it's interesting when you were talking about the homogenization of religions, it made me think of Discovery, actually. The yeah. the episode, was it New Eden at the beginning of season two where they, you know, the spoilers for Discovery, that that is a warning I will actually give um, because it is the most <laughs> recent season. This group of people, this town was essentially rescued by the Red Angel. And when they arrived on their new planet, Terra Elysium, they couldn't decide, basically, which religion saved them, right? Like, was it, mm. was it the Christian God? Was it somebody else? So they, they have this church in this town with stained glass windows that combine iconography from multiple religions and it's so beautiful like i highly recommend doing a google search like i just can like they got an onk in there if i recall correctly like just beautiful Mm -hmm. yeah and they name stuff they 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 name them i don't have the the list in front of me or anything but i do know that i think wiccan is one of them christianity is one of them islam i believe is one of them but it's it's interesting about like is that a good thing or a bad thing i mean it's a certainly a good thing that the town and the people came together and they didn't fight over it. But did they just combine religions to create a new one? You know, we didn't get much world building around that aspect. There's this show or this movie on Netflix called Let It Snow, totally not Star Trek related, but they have this like joke scene where they're doing the nativity and they have like, you know, like a Hindu goddess in in the nativity and they make it like non-denominational by just making it like, you know, instead of the absence of denominations, all of them. And I I knew it was being portrayed as a joke, but I thought it was dope. Like, I knew, like, it, it sucks when, like, somebody does something as, like, a, a sarcastic, oh, look at liberalism. And you're like, yeah. no, that's actually great. <laughs> like, yeah. accidentally leftist. <laughs> yes. You're like, no, that's the goal. You know, like, or the, the image of the woman uh, in the burqa sitting next to a drag queen. No, yeah, that, they should chill. Like, come on. That's my favorite one. Just let them both be there. Yeah. And and it reminds me of how I grew up. Like, I'm now, in retrospect, realizing how I grew up was so multicultural. Like, we learned Hanukkah songs, though no one was Jewish at the school. And Mm -hmm. I thought that was dope, because if we're going to have a holiday program, you know, and we just make it about Christmas, we're lying. You know, but if we're actually going to celebrate other holidays, like, talk about Kwanzaa, talk about, you know, Christmas, when, you know, Ramadan ends up happening around, um, you know, December again, and Ramadan as well the solstice, you know, non-Christian pagan religions. That's dope. And so I think there's some people who feel like, you know, things can't coexist. And there is something to be said about having your own deal. But it's just like having a woman space, you know, like this is called women at warp. It doesn't mean that like, oh, man, we're the other genders. It's like, no, like this is a specific space for folks. And that space is still inclusive. But there's worth in that. But I think that also having a space that's like integrated is also beautiful. And I think that they crushed it. But I also feel like some people watch that and we're like, haha, the future liberal once. And it's like, yeah, no, we do. <laughs> I feel like I've got to go on a quick rant about a Hanukkah bush real quick or something because oh. uh, feeling the need to change one religion space to accommodate another religion space yes. just so that you can all fit in better. That is a special level of pet peeve. I agree. 
Yeah. Like we had a, like, hey, Blair, you're the only Muslim here. So we're going to tokenize you with this conversation. Let's put up a, a Muslim ornament on the Christmas tree. And I'm oh like, my gosh. okay, um, all right. And this is where we return to the difference between equality and equity. Yeah, yeah. If I had a nickel for every time I was asked to stand up in front of an entire class before the Christmas party and be like, tell us your religion. And be oh, like, yeah, oh. I'm six. I'm six and all the kids are waiting to eat cookies. This is not going to end well in any direction. <laughs> yeah, the difference between assimilation and like cultures being appreciated. The difference between calling it a melting pot and calling it a delicious salad or potluck. Yeah. Mm. It's so funny that you use the word assimilation because then I think of the Borg and one of the big anxieties with the Borg is (laughs) having all of your cultures be assimilated into one and losing all meaning. Mm -hmm. But you know what? Isn't that a bit of a religion too? Yep. Because you're seeking perfection. Yes. So scholars, race scholars in particular, especially folks who work in black liberation theory like Jackie Lewis, uh, Reverend Jackie Lewis, talk about how white supremacy is itself a, a, a religion, white supremacy being a religion, because instead of you're just you're focused on the worship of whiteness, on the implementation of white supremacist policies. And folks get really confused about that. But it's really beautiful because then when you start to overlay that, you know, onto different religions, then you can make it very clear that when people are making the supremacy of one group over another, their focus, that they're shirking their responsibility to each other. And that's the the thing that so many folks talk about, the shirking of responsibility to yourself and to God when you put one person over another. And so that's often what's discussed, looking at that as a religion, also it being a religion that is in contrast, you know, you can't be a white supremacist and be Christian, yet there's so many churches that espouse that. Or if we look at the the history in the United States, and this is not exclusive to Christianity, but I used to be Christian, so I feel like I can talk some shit. In, in Christianity, <laughs> the Bible was used to justify enslavement. This also mm-hmm. happens in Arab cultures with colonization, the use of like capitalistic enterprises to say, hey, yeah, this Hajj that you need to go to Mecca for to like fulfill your religious duties, that's going to cost you $10,000. That's ridiculous. But when we worship things that are harmful, it, it just is, it's bad for everyone. And then I think about the Satanists, like it's not even about the fact that like Satanists don't worship Satan. They actually are like very cool people who show up at every great protest whether that's like for reproductive health, whatever. So when we talk about evil, it, it's really looking about what harms people, not necessarily attributing it to one one group of folks. Shout out to the Satanists. <laughs> They're always so chill, aren't they? They really are. Yeah. And now we just need to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor for this episode, Text Expander. Text Expander boosts your business productivity or your personal productivity by allowing your team or your crew to communicate smarter faster, more logically, and more consistently across all your channels. Do you want to make all of your text communications unified and collected? Yeah, exactly. It's It's got all the benefits of the Borg, but none of the downsides. The app is built with collaboration in mind. You don't have to reinvent common email and message replies every time you need them. So you store things that you need repeatedly in Text Expander, and then you can use the snippets anywhere you type Slack, Trello, Google Docs, email, web browsers, any place you frequently type the same things. And there's Text Expander for Teams, which makes it easy to manage and share snippets across your entire company or podcast as you. Or captain's log, if you will. If every time you open an email, you want it to say hailing frequencies open, but you don't want to type that because that's a lot of typing. Just like that, you've taken your Star Trek references to the next level. Definitely. So Text Expander is available for Mac, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad, and show listeners get 20% off their first year. Visit textexpander.com/podcast to learn more about Text Expander and pick Women at Warp from the drop-down list. So that's textexpander.com/podcast and pick Women at Warp from the drop-down list. Well, if I could bring it in another direction really quick, because we were just talking about when previously Kai when I was wondering if we could bring it to Kai Opaka for a minute, just sort of as contrast. And I really appreciate that she was the figure that all of this Bajoran spirituality was introduced through, because then we get this contrast. And then in the show, when it's continuing with this, religion can be used for political means, and it can be used in really bad ways to justify awful things. 
we've got this memory of Kai Opaka, who is just this very calm, very spiritual and very grounded person. And so we get that contrast of religion can be that, but it also can be wonderful and fulfilling and bring people together. Opaka was also Kai during the occupation of Bajor. So you know she saw some stuff. <laughs> For sure. I think that's also why when we're introduced to her, they say that she's kind of a hermit. Yeah. Right? She doesn't come out much. She doesn't see a lot of people. I'm guessing that the Bajoran people might have wanted to like hide her to protect her. I don't know what that means for someone who is Kai. But it's interesting that when we're introduced to, to Vedic Wynn at the time, she's introduced as like one of the most conservative mm -hmm. people of the most conservative sect of the Bajoran religion in contrast to Vedic Burial who's, I guess, like your cool youth pastor. Right? <laughs> yeah. but, <laughs> he sits backwards on chairs and everything. But we don't really know. I, I don't think we're told where Opaka sits on that spectrum. Well, I had read that Opaka went into hiding because there was all this infighting going on because all of a sudden the Majorans were not occupied and they were trying to figure out what kind of government there was going to be and there were different factions and she didn't want to get pulled into all of that. Mm. Oh, so she was trying to keep the religion out of the politics. Yeah, she was trying to stay neutral. Interesting. I like that. Yeah. So the interesting thing with Kyle Paca is that there's like, I can't even really enjoy the character because it's like, there's a little blackface going on, potentially, mm. or it's lighting. Wow. And so this is like a constant thing that comes up anytime anyone like tries to cosplay Kyle Paca. Because, you know, if you look at a picture of her today, and you look at a picture of her in the garb. It's definitely that her skin is like, you know, dark. And so when I first watched the show, I was like, oh, my gosh, who's this amazing black woman actress? And then I looked up and I was like, oh, it's a white woman who seems to be painted quite brown. And so that's like a side thing. You know, sometimes, sometimes the portrayal of <laughs> aliens, folks think, oh, this is, you know, I, I can kind of like hedge my bets here as far as dabbling in the blackface. But it's never a good idea. Nope, 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 nope. I did not realize that occurred with the Bajoran makeup. It definitely occurs with the Klingon makeup all the damn time. Oh, 100%. But, ooh, yikes. It could be lighting, but, you know, I err on the side of uh, white supremacy in the United States. My mind just went to a super weird coincidence also, because the one time she was on an episode of Friends, she was wearing kente cloth. Yeah. What's going on there? It's interesting. And I think that, you know, uh, let's just, we'll table it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That definitely is worth further discussion, though. Oh, we could talk about a woman religious leader in Star Trek who actually is Black, and I'm blanking on her name, but Picard's Romulan warrior nun friend. Yes. Oh, oh my gosh. The, the themes, like, okay, so I have, I love Star Trek, and I'm going to bring up Star Wars, because I, I can. I do that all the time. We're all day. star friends here. <laughs> Sometimes in Star Wars, they will portray evil folks in extremely Islamic-looking garb. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, like Middle Eastern garb. And it frustrates me, but I really loved this character. And I'm, I'm Googling her name. Let me do it right now. <laughs> because it was showing just so many different themes coming together, like women, warriorship, different diverse religions. Then you have like the folks who are in desert appropriate garb not being villainized as the evil folks. And I was just like, I love that. The character name is Zani. Cool. And there's a couple folks as well. Like it's an entire community. Yes. But the, the leader is is zani and she's just like they have this it's actually it reminds me of organizing circles honestly like so this is in picard and they have this practice of being brutally honest and completely transparent with people they don't dance around with language and that is so much uh, a part of black american culture in the united states you know just speaking to my experience not saying it's a part not a part of other cultures but from what my experience has been is that it's very much about don't be around the bush you hear that at my family gatherings 20 times it's just straight come straight out just say it and do it with love and i really love that that was an element of this culture because it's one thing to okay we're gonna have locks we're gonna show you know black people but we're going to completely make it different i mean honestly when you know jordy laforge was being cast they wanted somebody black who didn't have a black accent who mm -hmm. spoke with perfect diction of course lavar burton is immaculate for that but so what if he had uh, a specific regional dialect or, or accent? Same with Michael Dorn. And so to see that departure from this in Picard, the latest in the series, was really exciting for me. The elements of Black culture were specifically uplifted in the future. Because like, why does Picard get to have an English accent, but 
Jordy can't sound like he's from Brooklyn. That's not fair. <laughs> yeah, why are some cultures more uh, homogenized than others in the future? Surprise, it's white supremacy. Oh, mm-hmm. no, who would have thought? <laughs> but no, Zani's an amazing character. Yeah, and another thing I appreciated about that episode was that there were multiple Black Romulans in that episode, and they were different kinds mm-hmm. of Black Romulans. They didn't all dress and act the same. Yes. There was the, the senator fellow, I think. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very different characters. And I really appreciate when Star Trek does that. I I so do as well, because like, you know, the idea that there's one type of way to be, regardless of what that culture is, one way to be a woman, like the fact that there's mini skirts on the original series, like, come on. All right, we're in the future. We're fighting aliens, but we still got to wear mini skirts. There's still gender. What the heck? That makes sense. You know? And so I really love seeing that diversity because, yeah, we have infinite diversity and infinite combinations, but those combinations tend to be limited by the folks who are creating that material. Yes. And so as that evolves, it, it's just so beautiful to me because it shows, hey, not only are we progressing in the present, but we're progressing in what we determine the future to be. And that's really, I think, a, a measure of how much work has been done by scholars, activists, grassroots folks, you know, diversity, inclusion, et cetera. And it makes me super hopeful because more people deserve to see themselves in the future. Fantasy genre, take some notes, please. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, say what you will about modern Trek, or I should say current Trek, Discovery, Picard, even Lower Decks, right? Star Trek has often been criticized for the monoculture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the more recent iterations of Star Trek are breaking that. They're showing us different aspects of different cultures. They're showing us different Romulans, different kinds of Romulans, and not just the senators with giant shoulder pads, as much as I (laughs) dig those giant shoulder pads. They are great. They're not everyone is a Romulan senator. There are farmers, there are warrior nuns, apparently. It's great. And I think that started, in my opinion, really, it started on Bajor. But Mm. I don't think they went far enough. We still have one religion. But at least there were different ways of practicing it and different kinds of people and different uh, people who didn't practice it, I should say, and different sects of the, the practice as well. We saw that there was some infighting about it. Not everybody followed it blindly. So I, I think, you know, that was hard to do. And, and I think one of the reasons and hard to do in the 90s. And one of the reasons they were able to is because, you know, they didn't pay a lot of attention to Deep Space Nine hmm. because either TNG or Voyager was also on. So, you know, they kind of let Ira Stephen Bear and his writer's room do whatever they wanted. And, you know, I think that the fans are really ready for it because when I posted my cosplay, the immediacy with which I was getting fanfare about being a new character on the show, which I was uh-huh. like, I'm so sorry, I wish. <laughs> and hey, writers. I, I am a trained actress. I will show up and do the thing. But so many folks are like, oh, man, I'm so excited about your new character on Picard. And I'm like, this is actually just a fan <laughs> thing, but I'm so down. And like all these writers started following me. And I was like, I do voiceovers. Let me know. <laughs> but folks are ready for it because people like immediately without question were just like, cool, new character. I'm excited. There were some people who were hateful, but there was an overwhelming amount of interest in how do we incorporate things like hijab into uh, Star Trek. And that that was really exciting for me because, you know, hijab is a religious practice, but it's also a cultural practice that goes like to the ancients, mm-hmm. you know, uh, whether that's veils, etc. So we see some of this with Whoopi Goldberg's par- character. We see some of this with the warrior nuns and Picard. But it would be nice to see something that's like overtly religious in the modern context on the show. Especially on a human. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Because we can have Worf's Baldrick. Nobody raises an eyebrow. We yeah. can have... You know, for a while, Spock wears the Idic. And in, in is there no truth in beauty? I think I got that in the right order. We have the Bajoran earring on, on Ro. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but she gets but she gets crap for wearing it. And Bubba Worf is allowed to wear his baldric all the time. Yeah, but then she starts wearing it again. Yeah. And I think it would be particularly great if I was the character. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we never see a, a human character, really, with a a cultural or religious item or article of clothing or or piece of jewelry on the show, at least not that I have seen. People love to talk about the Jewish media conspiracy, but I have not seen one yarmulke on Star Trek. Not yet. We're going to get there. <laughs> we better. 
And some titchels, too. Yeah, give me some seat, seat, and space. I would love to see a mezuzah on a doorframe on a starship. I would love that so much. <laughs> like on the loading bay, there's the mezuzah. Oh my god. <laughs> you can't kiss it, though, if your ship is pulling up to it, though. That's the only problem. And then is it, does it still count if the doorframe's moving? I don't, that's a lot. Yes. <laughs> as long as you're binding the word on the doorposts of your house and, you know, as long as it's there, usually you're okay. Because, like, there's so many things that are, like, el- like remnants of religiosity that we have from, like, ancient times. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't make sense that, like, one person gets to decide that religion is, doesn't exist anymore, you know? Yeah. And, and even I know some folks who, you know, have the mezuzah who uh, their parents are Jewish, but they don't practice, but it's still part of their cultural heritage. And I feel like that would can continue. Yeah, you can be culturally Jewish. Yeah, absolutely. And so that deserves to be in Star Trek as well. And it's it not only because Jewish folks absolutely deserve representation, but also because people who, you know, have anti-Semitic beliefs or are anti-Semitic themselves deserve to see this in space as a statement, you know, whether that's Muslim folks, Jewish folks, etc., that we are here and that we matter and that we're in the future as well. Also, just so we can have a little more fun saying you keep trying to come for us and we keep coming back. Yeah. <laughs> Should we get back to our list? Yes. Who would like to go next? <laughs> I would love to talk about the female changeling on Deep Space Nine. Who? Ooh, yeah. Because, I don't know, it's all very Paul Atreides to me, how they attain power and turn themselves into <laughs> gods <laughs> and create this entire culture. Well, now I'm also thinking she's kind of got a bit of a Bene Gesserit look with the high hairline and no eyebrows <laughs> thing also. And this is an aside because I love those. But she's from the Omarion Nebula, and I feel like they say it differently. But Omarion is an amazing singer of, you know, I believe voice to men. I don't want to be wrong about that. But I just like to think that his parents were Trekkies and named him after that. <laughs> oh, I love that idea. <laughs> but when you say they, they turn themselves into gods, they do so literally, right? With the, with the Jem'Hadar. But also they do that in the same way, you know, with, with a drug dependence, just like in Symbiosis, how we started this episode. Mm-hmm. Oh, we brought it all back! Full circle! <laughs> how do you like that, you know, consistency? <laughs> but yeah, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this one thing I wanted to bring up about the female changeling also, in the fact that they um, they make themselves gods to these people, but they also sort of spread that idea that they are gods by force. Mm. Yeah. In the sense that, you know, they have a group of people, they say, we're your gods. And they say, okay. And they're like, now you're going to take care of all these other people. So they're going to fear us as gods as well by proxy. I would like to bring up about the female changeling that I hate that we have to call her the female changeling. Yes. Yeah. Give the character a name, please. And like, they're, they're changelings. I mean, I get she has gender if she feels a gender. Mm-hmm. But, like, to to literally define this character as the female changeling when she is so important to the end of the story, it, yeah. it makes me angered. Female. <laughs> That's definitely fair. I feel like we really should have seen more of a conversation about gender with changelings anyway, so. Definitely. I feel like there's a dynamic that we see with at least a lot of the people who we've got on our list. We've got the sort of marmy... You know, very prim, less revealing looking, you know, nun-like religious figures. And then we've got the sexy priestess characters. <laughs> and I think it's funny how we've got one or the other. I'm just glad that they didn't go with sexy priestess character for the head of the Dominion. Because I feel like that would have not played great Yeah, power dynamics there. But I do think that's funny. You know, one part of their... Religion, and I'm doing air quotes right now. Yeah. That really struck me was Wayu and how, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the time you see him and he's just like, yes, they're gods. That's all there is to it. But the one episode with the Wayun who malfunctioned and ran away, and at the very end, all he wants is Odo's blessing because Odo is yeah. also yeah, his yeah. god. That one touched me. Yeah. Mm. Just thinking about like a, what mass being led by the changelings must look like with like a church full of Wayuns. <laughs> That's the rabbit hole I've fallen down mentally. Well, Grace, you brought up the the sexy space priestess. Yes. Do you want to talk about Natira? Absolutely. I thought Natira was like the ultimate epitome of this in that she is a sexy space priestess archetype. 
And also on rewatching that episode, I thought how I was thinking how interesting it is that she really falls strongly into this whole idea of, you know, science and facts being counteractive to religion and faith and how that's kind of the main crux of the conflict of that episode. This idea of no, no, you're all blindly following this religion. We must save you from your own oppressive religion, which is a really super colonialist construct and narrative. Yeah, there's a lot going on in that episode. There's so much going on in that episode. <laughs> and and we're following it via a woman in a two-piece midriff outfit with weird sort of Greco-Roman curls on top of her head. So it's hard not to be like, there's even more going on here that I'm having trouble <laughs> wrapping my head around. I also like that her makeup look looks very baked in the way that like folks do their makeup now, like Instagram yeah. folks, like, okay, ahead of your time. But this character <laughs> and Xena, the warrior princess, were definitely instrumental in my bisexual awakening as a youth. Because I was yes. like, all right, what's this about? I'd like to see more of that. <laughs> all hail Xena. No lie, I was really tempted to see if I could do the two-tone eyeliner thing just to ahead of time before recording today just to get myself psyched up and I couldn't make it work. Because <laughs> she's got like the white eyeliner and then the black eyeliner and I thought that was fun. Isn't it funny how like the most alien makeup they could possibly come up with is now just Instagram trends? That's just, yeah, <laughs> that's just casual stuff. I think that's really funny too, like just the way that fashion like applies. Also, it's really interesting the way that religion in media often is like, okay, well, if they're serious warrior nuns, then we're going to depict them this way. And if we're trying to like show that they like, you know, talk about primitivism, talk about, you know, just different things, the way that clothing goes into it, which is also part of the ritual of it. It just feels like such a, well, yeah, factor that the sort of pageantry goes with religion in a way. And it's funny to see people who are like, well, if they really had faith, they wouldn't care about that. And it's like, but they're expressing their faith this way. But they're humans. <laughs> like I was reading up on Talar, who was a Vulcan priestess. And apparently someone complained when she shows up to do like the transferring of Spock's Katra from McCoy. And they're like, well, if she's this great logical religious leader, why is she wearing coral lipstick? That's not very logical. It's like, no, it's pageantry. It's about making the occasion special. I get that all the time. People are like, haha, so if you're covering your head, why are you having makeup on? And it's like, I don't even know you, bro. Like, what the heck? But also, because I don't want to. I wear my hijab because I want to. I wear my makeup because I want to. But just like anything that has to do with women under the patriarchy, there's a conversation to be had in all realms about the extent to which we participate in things because we want to and because we feel like we have to or we're literally forced to by society. Like the yes. fact that so many folks can't breastfeed in public. Like, come on, patriarchy. Come on. That's mm. ridiculous. But yes, I'm, I'm really glad you put it that way because it feels like there is also this sort of weird idea that people have about religion as being, again, faith uh, versus science and also dourness versus fun, and which is a very odd sort of dichotomy that people have decided to put upon religion and that if you've if you've ever seen like a big grand religious festival that's pretty silly yeah and like it, it's interesting to me too because like in judaism as well as in islam there's such an emphasis on like cleanliness and like in islam we pray time, five times a day ideally doesn't always happen to be honest but uh we practice we do which is you know like the ritual cleansing of the body where you like clean out your mouth you like you know wash your hands and your feet that's also based in science. Like the reason why there was like, you know, lower levels of plague distribution was folks were actually practicing, you know, basic hygiene as a part of the religious text. So it's not, it's not religion versus science at all. And then also like, yeah, have you ever been to a wedding? Like, you know, <laughs> those tend to be fun and it's very much re- uh, rooted in different religious tradition. Yeah. It's just interesting how it can be expressed in so many different ways. And people have just such a strict idea of what religion constitutes sometimes truly right does anyone else have another one they wanted to bring in i'd love to go back to someone that blair mentioned in passing guinan um, because she is who picard always turns to when he needs moral guidance and you know it's funny because so i'm an alcoholic i'm sober now and inshallah i will remain so but it's funny because so many folks as i was you know in my drinking career as we call it would talk about how, you know, I would rather go talk to a bartender than talk to a priest. And it's this idea of like coming into a place without judgment and being heard and being counseled. She's a ship's counselor, but she's also very much associated as the bartender of the ship. 
And so that's always what what I tend to think about. Like that doesn't come out of nowhere. She also has that same sort of connection that you brought up that Troy has, right? In yesterday's Enterprise, she's the one who knows something is wrong. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So funny because my dad as a musician tended bar for most of my childhood. So at one point when I was a kid, I asked him, so why, why are you tending bar? He's like, well, think about it. You ever see an old cowboy movie? He, the, uh, the bartender is always the one they come up to and just immediately tell everything to. So he's always the guy who knows yes. the most about what's going on, but it's going to be the least, you know, judgy about it. And I've always thought that was an interesting perspective, and there's definitely something to that. And he really wanted to work on his impression of the bartender in The Shining. That was a whole thing. <laughs> he does it pretty good, I gotta say. So I want to talk about Elixis. Which I don't know why they just didn't name her Alexis, but it's <laughs> Alexis, A-L-I-X-U-S. Okay, DS9. Sounds like a startup company. <laughs> Alexis, get back to basics. <laughs> Paradise. The, this is the woman who diverted her, her whole shuttle of like settlers mm -hmm. and landed on this planet where she put up a dampening field so they couldn't use any of her technology. So she took her philosophy it turns out she wrote all these books about like how technology is ruining humans she sounds fun she's a total karen yeah she she turned it into a religion and she's leading this town where she's you know forcing people to do certain work and she set the rules and she insists that it's for the good of this community and she's trying to to force cisco and o'brien to join and not let them leave when they, they crash on this planet, or beam down to it, rather. They don't crash on it. And she's keeping all of these people there against their will, because as far as they know, they, they can't leave. Well, she's she's lying yeah. to them, yeah. right? So she's, this is this is more of a cult leader, I yeah. would say, really. That's an important point to emphasize, because as, as I talk about religion, I always try to make sure that I don't, like, flippantly dismiss anyone. So there are people, you know, there's many, you have the Amish, Mennonites, uh, folks who, you know, deliberately Orthodox folks, decide not to participate in technology and that's valid what's different here and i think why we all kind of ground is because it's by force you know mm -hmm. it's about the the not the the conversation about not being able to participate in something willingly which makes it very much a cult in the sense that it's a harmful practice that is forcing people into one way of being she also lets people die yeah and tries to strong arm a woman into seducing cisco right Mm -hmm. So that she is not of a kind and benevolent leader. She is a scary Karen. I feel very strongly that she is what Adami Wynn would have turned out like if she had been born on Earth. Oh my gosh, mm. there's a thought. Oof. At, at one point, I think Cisco asks her, you know, after Meg, I think, yeah. dies. Yeah. I watched this episode somewhat recently. <laughs> Cisco asks her, like, what if this had been your son? Would you have also let your son die? Knowing that, you know, there's a med kit on our ship that you tried to fly into a son. He didn't know that then. Mm -hmm. Then knowing that there's a med kit on our ship that could save this life. And she's like, yeah, I, I would because it's for the good of the community. So she's just like willing to let mm -hmm. anyone die to further her own. It's not even ambition to further her, her own philosophy. Gosh, you know, she wouldn't let people vaccinate their kids. Yes, <laughs> that part. While we're finishing up, does anyone have any final figures that they'd really like to bring into the conversation? I actually have a question for the pod, if I may. Uh-huh. Yeah. What would y'all like to see religion look like on Star Trek? Because I think that what we have here is some overt representations of religion, some that we've kind of pulled together out of our canon and, you know, discussions. We talked about it a little bit through, but I'd like to hear from you what you would like to see depicted in Star Trek as far as religion goes. So in putting together this list for, for me, it felt like anything that we can directly without question or discussion call a religion had a leader who was devious in some way, for the most part. Not Opaka, but definitely Win, you know, Elixis. A lot of these people are, are in it, it seems, for the power, and that's part of the story. So I would like to see not that, you know? <laughs> And basically just people having a, a faith in Star Trek and them living their lives. Make them main characters. You know, let a bridge officer have a hijab that matches their uniform. Let them have their, their whatever religious ceremonies they have. And it's just a normal part of life because that's what it is. 
I would like to see less representation of the different alien cultures as monoliths. I would like to get to see there be more representation of, yeah, this entire planet full of people, they have more than one faith and culture going on. Who'd have thunk? Mm-hmm. I just think that that's important to represent that if you're going to be doing infinite diversity and infinite combinations, you really need to start putting it out there and not just defining different people as that one characteristic that you can think of off the top of your head nonstop, like the warrior race or the religious race and allow the cultures to be a little more complicated than that. It's tricky, isn't it? Because when you're going out in space and you're meeting beings like the prophets and the Q, it's a little bit harder to believe in gods, I think, Hmm. or it makes it more complicated and it gives you a lot more questions. So it's really hard for me to say what what was what does religion look like when there are wormhole aliens that live outside of linear time? Yeah. <laughs> that would change things. <laughs> you got to wonder what new religions would form and everything. <laughs> I think that's really a big thing too. Like I feel like Starfleet in itself could be understood to be a religion, but yeah, there's so many factors that would go into com- a complete paradigm shift. Well, Cisco says very early on, you know, just because we think of them as, you know, nonlinear wormhole aliens, it doesn't mean they can't also be the prophets of Bajor. Like one man's Vesuvius is another man's wrath of God kind of thing. Right. It's the same argument, right, of science and religion. Yeah. It doesn't, like, things can coexist. Things can overlap. Things can influence each other. Mm-hmm. Amazing. It's almost like the world is much more complicated than a bunch of people are willing to admit. <laughs> My goodness. Any other final thoughts before we finish up? Yeah, I have two really quick ones that I just wanted to mention. Uh, the first is Ardra. Yeah. Who isn't really a religious leader, but is taking advantage of a religion. Yeah. To, to get her way. Con artist Ardra. But Cassidy Yates. And I bring her up because there's, there's a specific episode towards the end where she says, apparently being the wife of the emissary is different than being his girlfriend. And suddenly people that she's known for years and years are like asking her advice and asking for her blessing. It it just strikes me because as I mentioned before, you know, in being part of a religious leader's family mm-hmm. is an experience that most people don't ask for. Um, but, yeah, I, I can see that. Or at least I, I should say in my experience. And for some people, it puts you in a different light. And it it shouldn't because we are all people, right? So Cassidy sort of found herself in a religious leadership position that she didn't ask for or expect because she was just living her life. And now she has to figure out how to deal with it. And I think that's an interesting angle on the whole thing. With her religion, she's not even a member of. Right, yeah. Oof. Well, that's got to make post-DS9 even more needlessly stressful for her. (laughs) (laughs) Just saying. The emissary's child and everything. I know. There's a level, because single moms don't get enough scrutiny already. And I almost forgot, because we only got a glimpse of it, but in the Deep Space Nine documentary, what we left behind, they write the opening of season eight, and Major Kira is a religious leader. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. And I I think that'd be a, that's not the choice I would have thought of for Kira, but okay. Okay. I can, I could, I could see it feasibly happening. It's interesting because they do that in the the books as well, in the shared continuity novels. Yeah. That's what I've heard, yeah. I just think this is going to be so great because I can't wait to post this with an extremely antagonistic header (laughs) on Twitter (laughs) about how y'all said there were no Muslims in space. Well, look at all these religious leaders. (laughs) Religion is still a thing, whether you like it or not. Good and bad because humans are a thing. If there's religion, there's people and vice versa. If there are people, there will be beliefs. Amen. Wow, what a pun. (laughs) (laughs) Well, wrapping it up then, Blair, where else could people who are more interested uh, interested to learn more about what you have to say in your work, uh, where can they find you online? So they can find me also on Patreon. I actually just became one of y'all's patrons while we were talking. Thank you. I'm a chronic multitasker. Sometimes you just need to do (laughs) one thing, but my ADD begs to differ. I'm on Patreon teaching folks about history of privilege and oppression, both present and past. I'm also educating folks for free on Instagram. But if you want to take that further and support my work, you can join me on Patreon. 
And I look at all my Instagram DMs. So keep it short, keep it sweet. Uh, and let's take the conversation further at Blair Imani. All right. And Sarah, where can people find more from you online? So you can find me on Twitter at, at Sarah Miyoko, S-A-R-A-H, M as in Mary, I-Y-O-K-O. You can find my fanzine, Star Trek Quarterly, on Facebook, and we are always accepting submissions. And Sue? You can find me on Twitter at Spaltor, that's S-P-A-L-T-O-R. And as this episode goes up, Dragon Con Weekend Virtual is wrapping up, so lots of panels are probably hitting YouTube right now. I also recently did one on the animated series with Aaron Harvey and Dayton Ward, and that is available from Left Field Media. And uh, just search for Star Trek the Animated Series, Left Field Media, and it should come right up. And I am Grace, and you can find more from me on our on the Women at Warp blog. I'm writing there. You can also find more from me on Twitter, at BonecrusherJank. And you can find me pondering the mysteries of just how, if you're in deep space, you're supposed to face west to pray towards Jerusalem in mm. deep space. How do you do that? Ooh, don't get the Muslims started on that one. That's a tough thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good to know. Good to know. So to learn more about our show or to contact us, visit womenatwarp.com or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Women at Warp. You can also email us at crew at womenatwarp.com. And for more from the Roddenberry podcast, visit podcast.roddenberry.com. Blair, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so glad we could have you in for this conversation. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm excited to be a friend of the pod. And thank you all for listening. 